Hey, podcast listener, are you working so hard you wonder if the money is even worth it? If you're like most CPAs I work with, you have way too much to do, you feel relentless deadline pressure, and worst of all, you feel torn between serving clients and being with family. What if I told you you could work a 40-hour week without losing a dime? I know it sounds impossible, but my Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is designed for CPAs just like you who want to get their lives back. Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is launching soon. In it, you'll learn how to start getting your time back week by week, make your workload manageable while still bringing in plenty of revenue, what to put in your packages and how to price them, and so much more. Don't leave your future to chance. CPA Mastermind will get you on the same profitable path you've been searching for. With unlimited coaching, your success is guaranteed. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there. Our brain has what's called confirmation bias. It will only act on what confirms your beliefs. What is cool is that 50% who at one point it was hard, but they shifted and they did something they changed something that it became easy, which is, I think, beautiful inspiration that just because it's hard now doesn't mean it can't be easy in the future. Welcome to Smart Strategy for CPAs, where I help you work less and earn more. My name is Geraldine Carter. Barbara Hewson, previously known as Barbara Stanny, is the leading author on women, wealth, and power. A best-selling author, financial therapist, teacher, and wealth coach, Barbara has helped millions take charge of their finances and their lives. Barbara, welcome to the Smart Strategy for CPAs podcast. Oh, it's so good to be here, Geraldine. Thank you. I want to dig into a number of things today, including your new book that has just come out, Rewire for Wealth. And I want to talk about under-earning. I'm looking forward to this conversation because I see so many women under-earning relative to their potential. Let's start just to get everybody on the same page with what is your definition of under-earning? So I have been a wealth coach and financial therapist for over 25 years. I've written several books on earnings. And I, I was a chronic under-earner for, oh, most of my life. Until I hit 50, I was a chronic under-earner. And I, I remember going to a, a counselor to help me with my money issues. And, she, and she's the one that told me I was an under-earner. And I said, no, I'm not. I'm a writer because everybody knows writers. Well, that's not true. An under-earner is anyone who earns less than she needs or desires, despite her efforts to do otherwise. If you ever hear yourself saying, God, I wish I made more money, but chances are you're an under-earner. You can make six figures and be an under-earner. And you can make less and not be. I have a daughter who's a farmer and I have a daughter who's a journalist. Neither one of them is a high earner, but they make enough money to meet their needs and they're doing what they love because it feeds their soul. Under earning is always a condition of deprivation and not just of money, but of time, of joy, of choices, of freedom, and most of all of self-esteem. I see this in my clients. And what I notice across the board is that though they earn six figures, multiple six figures, that all of them could be earning much more than that. And they desire to be earning much more than that. But they tend to get stuck 
once they hit 200, 300, 400,000, because I don't know exactly, well, I have some ideas, but they tend to get stuck in this two to $400,000 range as kind of solo or small firm uh, owners. And um, certainly the small firm owners have higher incomes, but there's still this level of stuckness that gets reached. But I don't think that they would necessarily think of themselves out of the gates as an under earner because they're earning six figures. Right. But the thing is they've hit an earning ceiling. Yes. And when you hit your ceiling and you can't get above it, you are under earning. Yeah. It's not that you're not earning enough, but you are under earning according to your potential. Yeah. Excellent. Great. And that's where you want to get past. And it is really about your self-concept and your thinking, how you are thinking about yourself and money in the world. Yeah. So what are the ways that people think about themselves erroneously that is getting in their way of breaking through wherever their ceiling is? Wherever they say, I'd love to make more money, but whatever comes after that sentence is an indication of what's their ceiling. I'd love to make more money, but Oh, I have to work so hard. I I need to make more money, but it's selfish. I already make so much. What you need to look at is what your thoughts are about that. Your success depends on your thoughts. The quality of your thoughts depends the quality of your earnings. But here's the thing. It's not just your thinking because it's understanding how the mind and the brain work together. This is what I learned when I started bringing neuroscience into my work about six years ago. And this is why I wrote my latest book, Rewire for Wealth, Three Steps Any Woman Can Take to Program Her Brain for Financial Success. That was my plug for the book. But anyway, understanding how the mind and the brain work together. The brain controls our behavior. The brain controls our inhaling, our exhaling, our spending, our saving, our earnings. It controls everything. But the mind, what flows through the mind is what shapes the brain. So it's really important to understand that our thoughts and feelings, which come from our mind, as they go, as they, as they go into our brain, it is digging these neural pathways that are going to be controlling our behavior. So the idea is to sh- reshape, is, is, to re- is to look at our thoughts. And I'm going to give you three steps to training your mind to rewire your brain for wealth, well-being, overcoming under earning, whatever you want. Okay, can I give you those three steps? Yeah, yeah, I give. Yes, of course. Yeah, so so what you need to do is when you think about earning more money or not being able to earn money, start noticing the thoughts that come up. I'd love to earn more money, but or just start thinking, just start noticing any negative thoughts. And the three steps, I'm going to tell you what to do with these, but the three steps are recognize, reframe, and respond differently. Recognize, reframe, respond differently. So the first step is to recognize those thoughts that are keeping that earning ceiling in place. And what you do is you have to recognize it a certain way. Recognize with curiosity, not criticism, not judgment. Oh, Isn't that interesting? I'm having a negative thought that I can't handle this. I'm having a negative thought. And by putting those words, I am having, 
I am having separate you from your thoughts because your thoughts aren't true. They're just thoughts that are going through your mind. And they've probably been going through your mind for a long, 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 long time. And every time they go through your mind, they dig that neural pathway that controls your behavior deeper and deeper. So you recognize, oh, I'm having that thought that, oh, it's it's way too much work. To, oh, I can't do that. I can't exceed what my parents earned. Whatever the thought is, I'm having a thought about, isn't that interesting? And then reframe it. How can you see this differently? And so, for example, you can reframe, oh, I, I can't make that much money. It just, it's impossible. Just a simple thing like, I can do that. I can do that. Sure, I can. You won't believe it at first, but reframing, constantly reframing starts changing, starts killing that old neural pathway and starts building a new one that says, I can. And then after you, you recognize, you reframe, and then you respond differently. You do what you're scared to do. You do what you don't want to do. You do what doesn't feel right to do. I love that. Because the key to upping your earnings, to going to the next level in life, I don't care if it's money, making more money, or losing more weight. It always lies just outside your comfort zone. Under earners, I say to under earners, when's the last time you did something you thought you couldn't do or were scared to do? And, and, they, and they, they, they scratch their head. And I say to high earners the same question. And they go, oh, all the time. It's a way of life. I had what I call the high earners slogan. If it's not illegal or immoral, I just say yes. So you do what you're scared to do. That is the key. So one of the things that makes me think about is that some people who achieve a certain level of success say, okay, you know, they're starting out their business and it's really hard and they're figuring it all out. And then they finally break through, say, six figures and they're, okay, you know, I'm covering my basic living needs and they get to multiple six figures. And okay, great. I'm settled in. And they start to feel comfortable and confident in what they're doing. And now suddenly we're asking them to get uncomfortable again. Yes. And it strikes me that there can be reluctance to get uncomfortable once they've worked so hard to reach a certain level of comfort. That's why for the average person, they don't get uncomfortable until their comfort zone starts becoming uncomfortable. <laughs> so whatever reason, they get so uncomfortable staying put mm -hmm. that they're forced to do something different. My goal is to inspire and motivate and encourage women to don't wait till things get bad enough. Don't wait. The thing that, that what I found that motivates that money, men are, and women are, are very different in this regard, generally speaking. Men are, no matter how much a man earns, tell them to earn more money. They're all over profits and prestige and perks. They're just all over it. It's just how they're built. Women, once we reach financial stability, once we have enough, we're rarely motivated by money. Yeah, we want to make more money. But what motivates us is what we can do with our money, how we can use our money to make a difference in our lives or the lives of people we love in the causes we feel passionate about. So if, if you're feeling comfortable where you are and you're scared to go, which everybody is, I mean, everybody is, start looking at what this next level of income could do for you, what you could do with it, how it could empower you, what it could, how it could change your life or the lives of others. 
I love that because I find the same thing with my own clients that they are motivated. Once they hit six figures and they've got their basic household needs met, so to speak, that money is no longer the primary motivation. It's about something else. For some, it's about teaching. For some, it's about being able to help those, you know, they might have grown up in difficult circumstances. They want to give back to that community and so on. It's what I call, it's what I call the higher work of wealth. That we're all here for our purpose. We're all here. I mean, I believe that God put us on this planet for a reason, but we can't possibly pursue our purpose if we're struggling to, to make ends meet. And if we could get in touch with what that purpose is, what we're here to do and how we can use our money, it can motivate us more than any dollar amount ever will. Hmm. Yeah. It's almost like you have a responsibility to make as much as you can if you're going to fulfill your purpose. You, you have a responsibility, but you have a privilege. You have a privilege of doing what you are here to do and living your life to the fullest. What do you say to women who say things like, I want to make more money, but I don't want to look greedy. I want to make more money, but I feel guilty because other women aren't making as much as I am. Money makes me look bad. What do you, what's your response to those kinds of things? I would say, where did, where'd that come from? Where does that come from? They learned that somehow, that making money is greedy. You can probably go back to their family of origin or at some point in their upbringing where either the, the, the church or their family or society or school or their peers put that notion into their head. And so if you can look at the origin where, they, where that came from, that's one way to start changing it. Because money itself is not good or bad. I mean, you take a $100 bill, you put it on the floor, it can't move. Money can't do anything. It can't shoot a gun. It can't bandage a wound. It's you. It's you who does it. And I say, what, what Abraham Lincoln has this saying, had this saying, if you want to help a poor person, don't be one. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things I noticed that I'm wondering if you can shed some light on, you saw this poll that I posted last week on LinkedIn around is money making easy or is it hard or it used to be hard and now it's easy? Yeah, I'm dying to hear what the results were. What'd you hear? It was 20% making money is easy, 30% making money is hard, and 50% making money was hard, now it's easy. That's great. And it was interesting, right, that you can have that mental flip, that you can think that making money is hard, and then things change and making money is easy. How much of that do you attribute to the reality of like getting evidence and gathering feedback that you've actually made money and it's getting easier compared to making a decision that making money is easy, therefore it becomes easy? I don't know. I don't know which comes first, but I know that... Whatever you believe, making money is hard, making money is easy will be true for you. Will be true for you because our brain has what's called confirmation bias. It will only see, it will only act on what confirms your beliefs. What is cool is that 50% who at one point it was hard, but they shifted and they did something. They changed something that it became easy, which is I think beautiful inspiration that just because it's hard now doesn't mean it can't be easy in the future. You just make some need to make some shifts in your thinking and some shifts in your behavior. You've, in addition to having interviewed hundreds of six-figure earning women, you've also interviewed seven-figure earning women. And I noticed that you wrote the book, Secrets of Six-Figure Women, but as I was reading it, I was like, I want the secrets of seven-figure earning women. What kept you from writing that book? Well, I, I did write that book. 
only I didn't call it that. So in when I, I don't I don't remember when it was, but after I wrote Secrets of Six Figure Women, I was always an under earner until I decided I'm going to interview women who are making lots of money and see if that'll help. And so I started making over six figures before I even finished writing that book, Secrets of Six Figure Women. So then I wanted to see if I could teach others what I was doing. And I was started doing Overcoming Under Earning Classes, which was my next book. And right after I wrote, sometime a little after I wrote Overcoming Under Earning, one night in the middle of the night, I woke up and I had this new goal. And it was, I want to make millions, help millions and give millions. And that's my new goal. And so I interviewed women who made millions. And that, that book I called Sacred Success because that book was an eye-opener for me. I had no trouble finding women who made millions at all. And my interviews were fascinating. But what I learned, it wasn't that these women were making these outrageous sums. It was the way they were doing it. They were doing it differently than the world models, i.e. men. So to explain, I'm going to back up. There's three levels of financial development. There's survival, stability, and affluence. Survival is not enough. Stability is just enough. And affluence is more than enough. To go from survival to stability, you have to have a profit motive. You have to love money. Money's a great thing. You have to want to. That's one of the problems with an under earner is they don't have a profit motive for whatever reason. Either they think money's bad or they can't do it. But once you get to stability, the game changes. In order to create wealth, in order to have that higher income, and not just have a higher income, but to create wealth, because you know, wealth doesn't come from what you earn. Wealth comes from what you do with what you earn. But in order to have to go from stability to affluence, Profit is no longer your primary goal. Yes, it is an intended outcome. Absolutely. But what I learned from these women in our interviews is the primary goal of seven figures is greatness. And I define greatness, paraphrasing a quote by Fred Buchner, is that place where your deep gladness, doing what you are here to do, and it just lights you up. Your deep gladness meets the world's deep hunger. And that is the, the motivation. That is the profit mode. That replaces profit motive. And so I called this new game, what they were playing, sacred success. And I define sacred success as pursuing your soul's purpose for your own bliss and the benefit of others while being richly rewarded. That's not what you expected, was it? It is what I expected just a little sooner than I expected. <laughs> so I'm just kind of looking at my notes going, okay, like where, where does the logic take me here? So I love this because you're talking about going to another level that's no longer defined by profits and business model, like just like in the numbers kind of stuff, like this, how the spreadsheet designs it. The destination is greatness and the money comes out of that and is sort of, not to say ancillary as if it's meaningless, but it's sort of a byproduct. It's, it's in the back of your mind all the time. It's in the back of your mind. So you're very, you're very strategic about it. You keep one eye on your vision, one eye on the bottom line, for sure. But you're motivated, you're propelled by purpose. Hmm. That's what keeps you going when, when things get really tough, when the obstacles come up, when it seems like you can't go one more minute. That having a purpose is what drives you and what keeps you going farther than you would otherwise. 
I want to take one more step on this kind of uh, the bigger vision piece. I pulled my own clients to ask them, in your realistic dreams, how much money do you think you could make in a year? And in your wildest dreams, how much money do you think you could make in a year? And what came back was really interesting in that the, in the realistic dreams, the, the amount of money they could make in a year was a percentage larger, right? Maybe it was 25 or 50% more than what they're making right now. And in their wildest dreams, it was still only a percentage above that. It was maybe another 20% beyond that. But it wasn't a multiple. It wasn't like five times more than I'm making. It wasn't, it wasn't five million, it wasn't 20 million, it wasn't a hundred million. The wildest dreams were still in the six figures. And it made me go, hmm, what's that about? The first line in my new book, Rewire for Wealth, the first line is I've heard it said you can only go as far as your self-image will allow. And I think that is really the work I do as, as a financial therapist is to take women past their self-image because you cannot even visualize something if your image will only see you as earning a certain amount of money. That becomes, that becomes a, that's your glass ceiling. That is your glass ceiling that you need to break through is being able to expand your image, like a pulling silly putty, just expanding that image of what's possible for you. And one of the best ways to see what's possible for you to expand that image is to really watch other women who are doing it, to really find role models, to find women who are breaking that self-image, that that image, to find women who are doing what you don't even think is possible. And I know for me, I never thought I could be smart about money. I never thought. I, I was raised that women don't make or manage money. And it wasn't until I wrote my first book, Prince Charming Isn't Coming, and I started interviewing women who were smart with money, and it shifted what was possible. So finding women finding others, finding role models, and getting support, surrounding yourself people that say, you can do this. You've got this. I believe in you. Showing you exactly what it looks like. Showing what it's look like and, and reassuring you that you can do this. And staying away from naysayers. Under earners tend to hang out with pessimists, worry warts, you know, fearful people, not because they're bad people, but they're scared. And when you change, that means they have to change and it terrifies them. So it's important to surround yourself with people who are playing in the playing field you want to play in. I want to ask you one more question about something that you mentioned in your book, and then we'll come back to um, something aspirational again to leave us with. And that is that sometimes I notice an element of codependency in the accounting world. And it sounds like complaining that they're busting their tail for their clients and getting paid in thank yous instead of in dollars. And I'll say, well, why don't you raise your rates? And they'll say, well, I can't raise my rates. My clients will leave me. And they get caught in this sort of, it, it has an element of codependency. And you mention this in your book. And I'm wondering if you can touch on it. There's several ways I can touch on that. But people say to me, why are so many women under earners? And I, there are many, many reasons, but I boiled it down to three. And first of all, we give away our skills, our knowledge, our experience for free or bargain prices because we don't believe we're worth more. We devalue ourselves. Second, 
as you said, we are notoriously codependent. We put everybody else's needs before our own and not just our, our, our families and our friends, but our coworkers, perfect strangers, our clients. But every time we go to put ourselves first, which is a necessity to overcome under earning, every time we go to put ourselves first, we feel uncomfortable. And the number one requirement to go to that next level is the willingness to be uncomfortable. The willingness to do what you think you can't do. The willingness to go from what feels safe to what feels impossible. And what happens is we justify and rationalize. Oh, no, my clients will all leave. Ah, but what they don't, what they don't realize is when, and some people will leave for sure, but the people who can pay will come in. So I'm telling you, if someone said to me, how do I overcome under earning? I would say one thing, one thing, do what you fear. Do what you fear. Joseph Campbell has my favorite saying from Joseph Campbell. And he said, the cave you fear to enter is where your treasure lies. So whatever you're scared to do, that's how you overcome under earning. I love that. I almost want to leave it there, but I still want to ask you one more question. You wrote in Rewire for Wealth, my intention for this book is to educate you financially, harness the power of your mind to create the life of your dreams, make a difference in the world, and become the powerful woman you were born to be. What made you write that? I realized long ago that women's difficulties with money, making it or managing it, has very little of anything to do with money itself. Our difficulties with money has to do with our fear or ambivalence about power because we don't understand power from a feminine perspective. My definition of a powerful woman is someone who knows who she is, who knows what she wants and expresses that in the world unapologetically. So essentially our fear of power is our fear of becoming all of who we're meant to be and not watering ourselves down so we don't make waves. So what the reason I do what I do, it's not just about the money. It's about who you have to become to attract, to sustain, and to grow your wealth. It's not the money that gives you power. It's when you own your power that you can create your wealth. Mm, I love that. Barbara Hewson, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. There was so much to love about this conversation, but if I had to pick one thing, it's that women who earn seven figures keep one eye on profit and the other eye on purpose. If you want to check out Barbara's newest book, Rewire for Wealth, or any of her six other books, you can find links to them and to her website in the show notes. If you know you're under earning and you're over it and you're ready to go after your big dreams, not just despite the fact that they scare you, but precisely because they scare you. Schedule a free discovery call with me. You can do that at shethinksbigcoaching.com forward slash free hyphen stuff, or just email me at geraldine at shethinksbigcoaching.com to set it up. Also know that on February 9th, I am co-hosting a free training with Laura Landmark, CEO of Mantle Analytics. 
If you want to have a better grasp on how to deliver rolling forecasts to your clients so that they have a better handle on the future of the cash in their business, you'll want to attend. This is the only time I announce this training on the podcast. There will be no reminder. To register, simply email me at geraldine at shethinksbigcoaching.com and I'll add you to the calendar event invite. How to deliver rolling forecasts February 9th at noon Eastern on Zoom. All right, that's it from me. Have a great week. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there.